0: We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been talking about the beautiful, messy bride of Christ. And we're headed towards the end of this letter. We're in chapter 15. And at the end of chapter 15, we're taking a fairly large section today. As you can see, verses 35 through 58. So let's read this first and then then consider this together. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in... Verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same, Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body... That is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe My dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of God. Start with a quote this morning by somebody uh, named Tim Keller. He said, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened then ultimately, God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Aging is going to go away. Pancreatic cancer is going to go away. Now, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, then I guess all bets are off. But if it actually happened, then there's all the hope in all the world. Uh, Tim Keller gave that New York Times interview in the not-too-distant past, and maybe some of you know that he breathed his last on Friday. He, he gave <laughs> way to, pan- to pancreat- pancreatic cancer. Um, Tim Keller, if some of you may know, figures pretty large within our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. He's a, a PCA pastor um, he's, he's had some influence uh, in us as well. The church that he planted in Manhattan was called Redeemer, actually, and he started a, a network eventually of churches all around the world through Redeemer city to city. Uh, my pastor at our mother church, uh, Walter Wood, was on staff with Tim Keller uh, doing your consult consulting in, in Europe. So Tim Tim was a friend of his. One of my Best friends uh, as a pastor who planted out of also from our mother church and went to Arizona. Scott Brown for his 40th birthday, his wife Becky flew Scott to Manhattan to have lunch with Tim Keller because he was a hero uh, of Scott's. And some of you maybe have read some of his books. He wrote the The Reason for God, which when he became a pastor had a background. In sort of blue collar Pennsylvania and moved to Manhattan, uh, he began noticing that there was obviously a ton of skeptics around him, a very godless society, and his church was filled with lots of people who were singles, professionals, and often skeptics as well. And he had a unique way of uh, taking what was academically sound approaches and delivering it in a compelling fashion that made people listen. Uh, and and understand the gospel better. Uh, He was there, obviously, post 9-11 attacks when their church exploded to over 5,000 people as they were asking questions about who is this God. Tim used to take afterwards, he'd go to a separate room, take any questions people had. Very engaging. I remember seeing him speak at Google after the Reason for God came out. And so he was a person who figured largely not just within our denomination, but really to the church at large here in the States and all throughout the world. So I was sad on Friday and Saturday and still a little sad uh, about that loss and thinking a little bit too about how as as sad as I am about that, um, I was thinking as well Uh, Multiple times how in uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books, Moses figures so large, and then he dies, doesn't quite get to the promised land, and Joshua's the new leader. God always has emerging leaders. His plan is way bigger than one particular person, but those people matter, and he had a unique influence, and I feel sad for myself, but also I think it's a huge loss for, for the church at large. And I pray that the work that he started will continue. That's certainly what he wanted and what those who were uh, around him planned for as he was diagnosed three years ago with pancreatic cancer and has been battling it. It feels like at the very end it happened all very, very suddenly. But I want to tell you this morning that as sad as I may feel too, it's not without hope. Um, sad, I grieve that loss, but I have a great hope and so did he. He wrote a great book on suffering during during this time, with a profound insight to it as well, and one of the one of the quotes that he uh, had had toward the end, as well, was uh, his son had posted uh, something here too that I wanted to read if I still have it in my my phone, which mm mm mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> Basic point was, as he was gathered around with his wife, one of his final words is, "I have nothing. I have, I've only got things to gain." Um, and that's 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 true for him, uh, for sure. And then we're we're still sad as well. But for for Tim Keller, one of the reasons that he could say that was because he, because he believed that the resurrection of Christ was true. He believed that his last breath here was only the next breath into eternity with the Savior who he gave his life for while he was here. And you know, Paul, who's been talking about this all throughout the book of Corinthians, who met the risen Christ as he was going to persecute believers, he said the same thing. Eric discussed this last week, and we've been looking at this in chapter 15. If the resurrection of Christ didn't actually happen We are to be pitied. Anything I say up here is irrelevant, and we're just wasting time and wasting breath. But it did happen, and he says, go ask people. In fact, it happened, and he was so convinced of it that his entire perspective on life shifted, and he laid his life down for this. So he could say at one point, for me to live as Christ and to die, that's gain. This is a game changer if this is really true, if the resurrection of Christ really happened, everything changes. All that we long for and hope for will come true. And in this passage in particular, Paul's focused on resurrection upgrades. <laughs> right? Things that are going to get better. We all need some sort of a resurrection upgrade. And that's what he talks about in these first First verses, he begins saying some people who were there in Corinth wondered whether or not if you died that was the end. Paul says it's not the end. And then they were saying, okay, well fine, maybe if there is a resurrection, what are our bodies going to be like? And That's what Paul talks about. If you're a believer this morning, if you're somebody who's put your faith in Christ, if you realize you cannot save yourself, you're hopeless except for without God, then this is a pretty sweet passage for you because this is a what you get to look forward to kind of passage. There are some books where Paul's talking more about, you know, um, uh, lo- looking at it from a different perspective, but this is a looking head to what you get to experience. And somebody says, well, what kind of body will they come with? And Paul gives a, a few analogies here in, in verse 36 and in verse 37. He says, when you sow... Um, something has to die in in order for it to come to life. you, You plant, and then it's just a seed, but then something else comes out of it, wheat or a plant. So he gives a picture here of our bodies being a little bit like a seed that goes into the ground and dies, but then emerges as something more beautiful and more spectacular. We all understand what that's like. If you're somebody who has a garden, you know you put the seeds in there and you water and eventually something comes up and it's, it's spectacular. How did, how did this come from that? He says our, our, our bodies right now are like the seeds and they're being planted as it were in the ground. And this flesh that we have, it's, it's of a, 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 there's, there's a sense of continuity and discontinuity he's playing on the entire time. Our, our flesh is similar but different from others. And, and even these heavenly bodies, there are different degrees of splendor and glory that come out, one star versus another. The sun is of a different variety than the moon and a different kind of star as well. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. In other words, we have a sense right now of what it will be like because we're embodied human beings. And when we die, as we pass on into the resurrection as well, that is something yet to come in our experience, it's going to be more spectacular. You've got an idea of it now, but not in full. And he starts talking more about what it will be like and I I find these verses pretty pretty helpful and he, he gives a whole list there of what it's going to be like and I'll You can look at your own text here, but the resurrection body and the serious upgrades that are in store. By the way, I got a new computer recently, too. There's some serious upgrades going on there. (laughs) You know, it's faster, and it just has more technology. It's awesome, but in two years, one year, maybe even right now, it's almost irrelevant, and I need another one, too. This is what's fantastic. These are long-term, serious upgrades with no bugs. No viruses whatsoever. Here's what he says in that list of things. What are our resurrection bodies going to be like? Well, that did not turn out at all. Okay, that is not, that's not how it looked on my PowerPoint. Well, that's proving the point, isn't it? This, 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 this is, this is problematic. Now, Alex, I don't know if you can tinker with that at all because it was supposed to have earthly body on one side, resurrection body on the other with lists going down. But just pretend you could see that. Here, the earthly body, it looks like all the sewn parts, somewhat over there, tabbed are what we're looking for first. Sewn perishable, sown in dishonor, sown in weakness, sown in natural body, and then mortal. And then on the right side, imagine with me for the resurrection body that it's not so imperishable but raised imperishable, raised in glory, raised in power, the likeness not of the earthly man but of Christ who is from heaven and immortal. There are all these lists of a change between the two bodies that are to come. In a sense, continuity but also discontinuity. So imperishable, that is corruptible. But raised imperishable, incorruptible. No longer are you subject to decay. And that could be more than just physical. Because we know that we will no longer be able to sin. That will be gone. No more capacity to do it. You're raised in glory. You're sown in dishonor. Uh, The the sense there too that that this is. This kind of general sense of we don't like who we are. Not all of us all the time. There are things we want to change about who we are. But when you're raised in glory, that won't be an issue any longer. Okay. Hello, hello, hello. Is it off now? It, it's on? So, for example, <laughs> that Augustine says in the city of God, the body shall be, listen, listen to this, he's imagining, the body shall be of that size which it either had attained or should have attained in the flower of its youth and shall enjoy the beauty that arises from preserving symmetry and proportion in all its members. And this is really kind how he says this. Overgrown and emaciated persons Need not fear that they shall be in heaven of such a figure as they would not be even in this world if they could help it. In other words, he's saying this resurrection body is going to be—it's going to be perfect. You're not going to take a look in the mirror and think. Uh, seriously, I, I'm going to switch to that other thing too. So perish. This is so funny, because this is slowly descending, too. I don't know if you've noticed noticed that. (laughs) Okay. And this is actually from a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Some of you may be familiar with this. He says, we won't gaze into the mirror wishing for a different nose or different cheeks, ears, or teeth. The sinless beauty of the inner person will overflow into the beauty of the outer person. We all feel neither insecurity nor arrogance. We won't attempt to hide or impress. We won't have to try to look beautiful. We will be beautiful. Look, doesn't that sound nice? I mean, nothing's going wrong. There's no more, immort- there's no more death. There's no more sin. Uh, there's no more sadness. There's no more crying. There's no more imperfections. There's no more uh, bedhead. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I mean, every- but everything, everything is as it should be. There's no more weaknesses. It's only power. It seems like this picture is of the vitality that we all long for. And somebody asked how much you bench press. You know, it's, I guess, whatever you would hope to bench press. And if you do more than the other person, nobody cares because you are all awesome. It's, it's this sense of being not so much like Adam, who's your federal head and, and brought misery and pain and suffering and sorrow, but Christ, who brought hope and life and light. That's all there is. There's no more... There's no more mortality, there's just immortality, there's not this sense of, of brokenness and hurt and harm and, and cancer or anything like that or aging. It's perfection. It's as it should be. It's it's going back to the garden as it was designed before sin entered. That's what it will be like. There's no more shame. There's no more regret. None of that exists. We'll have this so-called spiritual body pneumatikos is the same Greek word that was used for the spiritual gifts. It's not like we're disembodied floating angels, you know, or spirits because we still have a body. But the spiritual body is one that's completely in line with the spirit of God, the things of God. And we'll be so glorious. Our physical bodies right now, if we were automatically in that presence, in this glorified state, would just disintegrate. We can't handle it. But we will have bodies that are like Christ then, similar to him. And we get some glimpses of what that's like. We already looked at the resurrection of Christ in his glorified body. There was some continuity. There was still flesh. There was an awareness of character. But even Mary Magdalene didn't know who it was until he talked. So it seems there will be some continuity of character and awareness, but something so glorious and spectacular that if we saw it now, we'd fall down and worship that's you. That's you if you're in Christ. This is this is what you have to look forward to. And that, that's Tim Keller. Now, I mean, when you die and you enter into what will be called eternity, it's not as if you're ticking off minutes. We're living on a time frame and eternity can play some games with your mind a little bit. But if it, it always, it, once you enter into this eternal realm, it's Almost simultaneous, it seems, that that resurrection day will come. There is something, an intermediate state, as some theologians call it, in 2 Corinthians 5, where we're sort of waiting. But I don't think there's a sense of waiting in time and looking at your watch. It's just like instantaneous. And that glory then for Tim and others who've gone before is almost as it were now. And we have to wait. See, we're getting the broad end of the deal. We're getting the short end of the stick as it were, and as great as this world and life may be, even the greatest possible thing is just a fraction of what is to come. That's what you have to hope for if you're in Christ. That is your future. That is is why when people die who are in Christ, we're sad and we mourn, but not without hope. That this is why we can rejoice at the same time as, as be sad. This is why when we have that day and we sing about it, when we breathe our last, it's just the beginning of something far greater. That is the hope if you are in Christ. Everything that you despise now will be taken away and everything will be good. I wonder, let's just brainstorm for a second. What are you looking forward to going away? What? Do you, what the resurrection body, in this sense of things, no longer. What are some of those things you think no longer? What? Fill in the blank. What? Pain. Pain. (laughs) Uh, Okay, weeds in the general category. (laughs) What you define as a weed. What else? No more what? No more injustice. And no more debate about what injustice is. It's all taken care of. No, what else? Violence. violence. No more violence. No more corruption. Sorrow. No more sorrow. I can eat anything I want. That's right. No more dieting. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You can. It, there's a feast going on. You don't have to calorie count. You don't have to keep track of your sleep hours. And th- I didn't get any REM last night. What else? No more what? Paint. 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 Paint? Paint. Oh. <laughs> Hate. big difference. although some people may not like paint. No more hate. What else? Anxiety. Yes, no more anxiety. We, we tend to think in physical terms, no more mental, but no, no more agony, no more depression. No more discouragement. Is that all you got? What else is there? No more fill-in the blank. No more division. No more brokenness. No more broken relationships. What else? Say goodbye. No more saying goodbye. And we could go on and on. No more more just feeling tired. No more disappointment. No more missed targets and goals and broken hearts. You could go on and on. This is this is your, this is what you have to look for forward to a believer. You you know why Paul is excited about this stuff? Because he has a pulse. (laughs) If you live in a broken world and you read something like this and you believe it's true, this ought to stir in us a longing for heaven. It ought to stir in us a desire for that to come right now. It's okay. No wonder the Bible ends with, come Lord Jesus. (laughs) Come, Right now, even if you feel like, eh, it's okay. Things are all right. Now, you might be somebody who feels like that. I'm not looking forward to that. If you live long enough, it'll probably change. That's one thing. But the other is, even if that bar for you is so high, that's just a tiny, it's so, so much a fraction of what is to come. Imagine all, the, all that but even better a thousand times over. This is what you have to look forward to. This is why Paul says the doctrine of the resurrection matters. When Tim Keller breathed his last, it wasn't the end. And he knew that. And he had hope in that. And he knew there's something better that is to come. Our confession of faith puts it, puts it this way in chapter 32. Uh, and this is going to read... Like um, some older English in some parts. But the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory waiting for the full redemption of their bodies, so that time when they're raised from the dead. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness reserved for the judgment of that great day. Now, this is, the, this is the other side of it. This is the hope of those who are in Christ and the sadness and the hopelessness of those who aren't. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none At the last day, such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the self-same bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. So the framers of the confession acknowledge that we will be changed. But with the self-same bodies, there'll be some resemblances, but these are resurrection upgrades. This is everything that you've wanted coming true without any airbrushing. And these bodies will become like Jesus. And Paul goes on to say when the perishable has been closed with with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory. Where o oh, death is your victory, where o oh, death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it's it's incredible because this picture we've already talked about of resurrection victory, no more sin, no more death that Paul has mentioned here Is something that hopefully you get a sense of just in these previous verses is a longing that's something you want to look forward to. We long for that day when everything is as it should be. And even if you're somebody who maybe rejects God or the gospel or the Bible, my guess is you would like that to be true. And I think there's a reason why you want it to be true because God baked that into you. It resonates. We know something is wrong One of the problems is when we try to fix it on our own and we try to come up, we have a savior complex and we can figure it out on our own, we can do it. There's different ways we've tried to do this throughout the years as human beings we feel like we've got it all fixed in ourselves, maybe just more education, a a better government, a a health plan or something, it always goes wrong because there's only one person who can actually fix it. He came in the person of Christ. And that's why we say, thanks be to God, our victory is through Christ, not through anything else. There is no other hope for that ultimate fix because he's the man from heaven, the perfect man. And so we tether our strings, we attach to him He's the one who died on our behalf. He's the one who rose as a firstfruits guaranteeing what is to come. And that all seems very future. But what's fantastic here is that Paul ends up saying, that has, makes every difference in the present. Look, at, he sums up this whole thing by saying, therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. If this is all true, what difference does it make to us in 2023 in Mason, in our beloved gym, with Sound systems that go awry. And glasses that don't work properly. And what difference does that make? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. And that's not some sort of passive thing because he goes on to say, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. So the reality of the resurrection is an anchor for you to stand firm no matter what's happening around you. And it is a motivator as well to give yourselves fully to the work of that the Lord has put in front of you. And that work that he's put in front of you isn't something that's going to come in the future. It's what's in front of you right now. And if you feel like what you're doing right now has of no value, is of no worth, and you just can't wait till it's finished, okay, that's a very human reality. And it's okay, admit it. But Paul wants you to hear, and so does God this morning apparently, your labor isn't in vain. It's not, it may seem like it, it is not. If you're in Christ, working on his behalf, nothing is vain. This is exactly how he started the chapter. He's used that word vain all throughout. And and, and the message to you then, because of the reality of the resurrection of Christ, is that nothing you do is wasted. Nothing you do is wasted. Nothing. It may seem like it. Or you may be confused about how it fits into God's grand scheme. But here is the assurance this morning. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that is rooted in the reality of Christ's resurrection. And so something that seems like death in God's kingdom is the pathway to life. Even if you feel like you're dying today. God is calling you into a richness of life. And here's another Keller quote. Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel makes it only a gardener. Death used to be able to crush us. Now, it only plants us in God's soil. So we grieve with hope. Wake up and be at peace. Laugh in the face of death. Sing for joy at what's coming. If you have Jesus by the hand, he's got you by his hand. You can sing. That's Tim in the face of pancreatic Cancer And knowing that his earthly life was slipping away, he can sing. And so, based on that, here's some resurrection assurance this morning. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It isn't. In 2 Corinthians, Paul would talk about this again, too, to a group of people who felt like they were discouraged and they're, they were just ready sort of to give up a little bit. He said, therefore, do not... Lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's pretty remarkable. We've talked about this in the not-too-distant past. Your troubles do have weight. And if you feel like you're crushed by them on a relative scale to the glory to be revealed they're just like chaff in the wind. They're almost like nothing. It doesn't mean they aren't. But by comparison to the glory that is to be revealed in your resurrection body, in a fully restored kingdom with Christ reigning, it's like, like nothing. The heaviest thing in your heart is the lightest weight by comparison. And that's what Paul says gives us strength. Not to lose heart, even when we feel crushed in despair. No wonder, he says, we need to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. This kingdom that God is working that almost takes mustard seed form, when we feel like we're losing sight, we have to say, Lord, give me a vision here of what is to come. Because what I see and when everything seems to work, work out according to plan, that's just temporary but what's unseen is eternal, and that's what we're after. There's a song called my, Jesus on my, my cross have taken, and I think of those words now. Haste thee on from grace to glory. Armed by faith and winged by prayer, God's eternal days before thee, God's own hand shall guide thee there. Soon shall close thy earthly mission Swift shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition. Faith to sight and prayer to praise. Faith to sight. You know, Tim preached a lot about the gospel. He, he did it in a way that was very understandable to many people. And part of that gospel was that Christ died so that you could live. And when you breathe your last, you will enter into glory with him. And no longer will that faith, that that longing for things unseen. Fixing things that on my eyes on things I can't see. That, that is sight for him today. He sees it. And he knows it. And he's experiencing it. And that is encouragement to me. But I hope it is to you as well. Because if you feel weighed down. You have a savior who understands what that means. And he's dealt with it. On the cross but then rise, rising from the dead. And that is for us our anchor of hope to go forward no matter what may be in front of us. Father, I pray this morning for our hearts first, too. Maybe we are discouraged and feel like we are weary and losing hope. Would you fix our eyes again on the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us, before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame and then he rose from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he's interceding for us. He's praying for us now. He's praying for us. He's praying for the Keller family. He's praying for Redeemer Church in Manhattan. He's praying for the saints whose stories we don't know about. He's praying for C.E. and Jivo and Sava who hopped on a plane to go to China for a while. And Lily who did the same this week. He's praying for each of us by name. Our names are on the lips of the risen Christ, and he is interceding even now for us, and we know that's the case. He rose to prove that he's conquered death, so may this be for us the source of eternal hope, especially in the face of discouragement, because we know there's that picture when Christ returns in in our timeline and understanding, and then that That saying that is written will finally come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. There is no more death. There's no more sting. There's no more sadness or sorrow. We get a picture of that in Revelation, how we long for it. But in the meantime, may we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain.